0: The rest of you should be turning in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. And I just got a... a, I believe it's a confirmation of something I've been looking for in this church for a long time. Um, Zane came today and said that we should have church outside because it's such a nice day. And I believe that that's the Holy Spirit confirming because I've been pushing for a retractable roof in the church <laughs> since the day I got here. And so, you know, I keep getting shot down. But I think that um, one of these days that way we don't have to move outside. We can just roll the roof back and we can. And then when it's cold or nasty, we just close the roof. See how perfect that is. So one of these days. but. I got Zane voting with me, so. So Luke chapter uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, would you uh, follow along as I read God's word? Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And this is the authoritative and inerrant word of God. Well, we, uh, as we continue our study in the Gospel of Luke, I think what I want to do is we this is kind of an introductory or maybe a bridge section of text because actually we're starting a brand new or a a, we're entering into a larger section of the gospel of Luke. And I just want to set the stage as to where we're going to be going for the next few weeks. And chapter eight, verse one actually begins a larger section of the gospel of Luke. And so what we want to do is we want to set the setting so that as we go through the text, we are better equipped to handle it and interpret it. And so this setting then is uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. It begins here and then it ends with Peter's confession. So really what we're going to do, some, of the Bi- some Bible students have called this the tour section of uh, Jesus's ministry, because basically Jesus goes on tour and he tr- starts to travel around uh, throughout Galilee and his ministry throughout Galilee is teaching uh, the kingdom of God and doing miracles that attest that he is the king of the kingdom. So some of the miracles that we're going to see is that he's going to cast out demons. He is going to. Um, perform authority over nature um, by calming the sea. We're going to see him uh, do various healings. And so Jesus is the king has come proclaiming the kingdom of God, demonstrating that he's the king of the kingdom by showing that he has authority over nature, over sin, over death and over infirmities. And so all of this then is going to conclude or this section uh, of this tour section is going to conclude with With Peter stating, you are the Christ. All right. So Jesus is now um, performing these acts and teaching these truths. And it culminates with Peter's um, confession that truly you are the Christ. We shouldn't be too surprised with this because Luke, remember Luke's purpose, Luke is seeking to demonstrate that we can be certain about the things written or certain about the things that we've been taught about Christ. And so some it's easy to begin to doubt and to wonder, you know what? I mean, we saw John the Baptist begin to doubt a little bit. You know, are you the one or should we look for another? But Luke has written these things that we might be certain, certain about the person of Christ, certain about um, who he is and what he's done, so that we too, upon observing these things, can affirm with Peter, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So that's the bigger setting of this particular passage of text. And verses 1 through 3 is going to... Uh, serve as kind of a bridge that gets us into those teachings and into that miracle. Um, Just a real quick preview. Uh, My message today, I I was going to say it's kind of simple, but we're going to get a little bit technical. But um, but the outline is simple. We're going to talk about the kingdom of God and who's included in the kingdom of God. So very simple. What is the kingdom of God? And who is part of the kingdom of God? That's The direction I'm going to go, we'll see how well I do with staying on track with that. But I have my notes, so that'll keep me... Keep me grounded a little bit. So we begin with in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Soon afterward, he went through the cities and the villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. So soon after the events that we saw, remember Jesus is still in the northern part of Israel, he's in his Galilean tour, and uh, shortly after being invited to the house of Simon uh, the Pharisee, and being ministered to by this unnamed woman who had uh, wept and uh, wet Jesus' feet with tears and dried them with her hair and anointed his feet with this alabaster, um, this vial of perfume, um, and basically Jesus turned the tables on Simon and basically said, "Simon, she's not the sinner; you are. All right? She was a sinner. She's just not the sinner anymore." And we recall that she, she was a believer prior to her entering into Simon's house um, and that this, these acts were the acts of a redeemed person bestowing honor and gratitude on the one who'd forgiven her, who'd been forgiven of sins. And Simon was the unrepentant one. So soon after these events. Soon after, Jesus then went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And I found it interesting that Jesus went to the cities and to the villages. And in other words, Jesus did neglect the villages. Sometimes in ministry, it's easy to think that, you know, really the cities are the population centers. And if we're going to have an impact on the kingdom, that's where we need to go. I understand that rationale. That makes perfect sense to me. We have limited resources and there's only so much that we can do. So we need to get the biggest bang for our buck. But it's interesting to me that Jesus just didn't go to Jerusalem or Jesus didn't just stay in Capernaum, but he went to the villages. He went to like little towns like Pine. Maybe even other little towns like Young. These out-of-the-way places that people just don't go to. But here's the thing. Cities need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to hear the good news of the kingdom of God. But so do a bunch of hick folks out in the middle of nowhere. Everybody needs to hear the gospel. So in my big theme uh, regarding the kingdom of God and who's included in the kingdom of God, it's not just elite urban folks, nor is it simply those who live in... Uh, the inner cities, but it is those who live in rural areas as well. And so Jesus makes sure that he attends to the needs and proclaims the gospel in the cities and in the the villages because geography should not limit the gospel. So with that being said, let's talk a little bit about his message. Soon afterward, he went through the cities and the villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. So Jesus comes proclaiming the kingdom of God. And by the way, it is good news. But if I were to ask you, what is the what is the kingdom of God? Many of us would probably stumble or hesitate or be a little uncertain. But we should have a good understanding of the kingdom of God, because this was the message of Jesus. This was the message of the the disciples after him. When we get into the book of Acts, what did they proclaim? They proclaimed the kingdom of God, which is also interesting because when Jesus was resurrected. And you recall, he spent 40 days uh, teaching his disciples. Do you know what he taught them? Acts chapter one. Verse 3 tells us exactly what he taught them. He taught them about the kingdom. He spent 40 days teaching his disciples about the kingdom. And all the way through Acts, we see that they went and taught about the kingdom of God. If the kingdom of God is the message, doesn't it make sense that we would understand what the kingdom of God is? So, let's spend a little bit of time talking what is the kingdom of God. Because we don't live in a kingdom scenario. We live in a completely different type of, of governmental system. So, the kingdom of God. Let me define real quickly this idea of kingdom. And this is in your note. A very basic definition of kingdom is the authority to rule and the realm over which the reign is exercised. So it's the authority to rule and the realm over which authority is exercised. And so, for instance, you might have had the Assyrian Empire. Say in the Old Testament we see the Assyrian Empire and there was, would have been a king over this empire and the king was the authority. It was the authority to rule. But the Assyrian Empire only ha- had boundaries. There were borders. It only extended so far. And that Assyrian king only had authority as far as his kingdom extended. Outside of that realm, one would not have to listen to the king. It's so today. There are various countries and and places that have kings. We don't. Their authority and their rule does not extend to you and me. So if the king of some country says, I command everybody to do such and such, well then, we probably don't. Listen to that. We might say, that's a pretty good idea, or that's a horrible idea, whatever, but it has no authority on, the, on us. And so a kingdom is the authority to rule and the realm over which exercise, um, over which the reign is exercised. Now, when we come to that, that's a kind of a general, generic, secular um, understanding of the idea of kingdom. Let's bring this into the New Testament. And just to warn you, we are going to get a little technical here. So stick with me. Are you with me right now? All right, I'll kind of periodically ask, and especially if I see looks of confusion. Um, I'll try to keep it as, as simple as we possibly can, but I think that it's good for us to understand, what is the kingdom of God? So when we come to the New Testament, we see that the kingdom of God then is the rule of God. Remember, kingdom is the rule, and the kingdom of God then is the rule of God. Now it gets even more specific in the New Testament. In the New Testament, it is the divine authority and rule given by the father to the son. All right. So the father gives authority to the son who will exercise this rule until he has subdued all that is hostile to the kingdom of God. Does that make sense to you? Are you with me? So the divine authority given by the father to the son of God, who is then going to exercise or oversee this rule, and he's going to do so until all hostile forces against the kingdom of God are subdued. He will rule and reign until all the forces that oppose it have been completely and utterly subdued. Let's look at this passage of Texas. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 24 through 26 give us a good understanding of this definition. Paul writes, then comes the end when he, speaking of Jesus, when he delivers the kingdom to God. The father after destroying every rule and every authority and power for he must reign. That is, Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So all forces that oppose the kingdom of God, including death, will when they are subdued, then Jesus Christ hands the kingdom Back to his father. So Jesus now has authority to rule and to reign and to subdue all enemy forces, including the force of death, which is the last enemy. And when they are all subdued and when they're all in alignment with God's perfect plan and purposes, then comes the end, and Jesus delivers the kingdom of God um, to God the Father um, back to him. So, the kingdom of God is the divine authority given by the Father, to the Son, who exercises this rule until He has subdued all forces that are hostile to it. And you're still with me, right? So now we've defined, yeah? So now we've defined the kingdom of God. Let's talk a little bit about some of the characteristics of the kingdom of God, because the Bible says this is good news. That the kingdom of God is the gospel of the kingdom of God. So whatever the kingdom of God is, it's good news. Whatever that is, that's good news that Jesus rules and reigns and will continue to rule and reign until all opposing forces have been brought under his authority, including death. One of the characteristics of this kingdom is that it is a redemptive kingdom. What I mean by that is that this divine rule is to deliver you and I, mankind, from evil. The purpose of the divine rule is the deliverance from all evil. The destruction of all powers that are hostile to God including death. And that's really where Luke is going to go as he's going to Begin talking about Jesus proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. What does he do? He starts showing how Jesus has authority over sickness and illness. These are opposing forces and Jesus subdues them. We'll see Jesus raise the dead. Jesus has authority over death. We are going to see Jesus cast out demons. Jesus has authority over hell. We're going to see him exercise rule and authority over nature by calming the sea. In other words, Jesus has authority over nature, over hell, over sin, over sickness, over death. Jesus is going to then, uh, eventually, one of these days, put all of these things in subjection under him. And then comes the end. And he will hand the kingdom back to his father. Father, And so the purpose, though, is to deliver folks like you and me from these evil opposing forces that hinder us from enjoying the entirety and the fullness of the kingdom. Now, in all of this, the Bible speaks of the kingdoms of this world as being hostile to the kingdom of God. That is... We see that they are under satanic rule. In fact, we see this in um, Matthew chapter twelve, twenty-six. What do we see? Jesus says, and if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? So Jesus is saying Satan has some sort of authority, some sort of kingdom um, in this realm and it is opposed to the rule of the kingdom of God. We read in Matthew chapter 13:22 that the cares of the world hinder us from enjoying the kingdom of God. And we learn in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 that Satan is the ruler of this kingdom. And so God's purpose for the kingdom of God is to subdue the kingdoms of this world so that you and I might have access into his kingdom and that we might uh, become citizens of the kingdom of God and no longer citizens of this fallen realm. So it is a redemptive purpose. That's good news. If you are enslaved by a tyrant and somebody comes along and looses those chains and enables you to be delivered from that oppressed uh, from that oppression or from that prison you would say this is good news Jesus came to deliver us from the evil one and that is good news it is a redemptive kingdom it is an effective kingdom what I mean by that is that it is not just some abstract idea, but the kingdom actually comes. It actually enters into history. When Jesus came, he came bringing the kingdom of God. and it is, So therefore, it is a present kingdom. It is right now. The kingdom of God is now. The redemptive rule of God has, inv- has invaded the satanic rule. When Christ came, the kingdom came. Christ is the king of the kingdom. So when the king shows up, we have the kingdom as well. We see this in Matthew 12, 28. Um, Jesus says this, but if it is by the power, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus come and binds a strong man, casts out um, the the satanic power. And he says, if that's done, then the kingdom of God is now in your midst. The kingdom of God has now come. So it is now here. The kingdom of God came when the king came. And it is invading. And it is casting away and putting aside satanic rule. So it is a present reality. The strong man, Jesus tells us, has been bound He's come and bound the strong man. He's the stronger man, and he has bound Satan and cast him aside. In fact, we learn that the Son of Man has come to destroy the works of the devil. But it's not only a present reality, it is also a future reality. That is, the kingdom of God comes at the end of the age. Remember when Jesus taught us to pray? Remember one of the things he taught us to pray, one of the elements of that prayer? Thy kingdom come, which is interesting because the kingdom was present, and yet Jesus is praying, uh, tells us to pray, Lord, I pray that your kingdom would come. So we see that the kingdom is not only a present reality, but it is also a future reality that comes at the end of the age. And when it comes, the the wicked will be condemned, and the righteous will inherit God's kingdom. We read that in Matthew 25. We read that when the kingdom in the future comes in its fullness, it will bring a new creation. Look at this passage from Revelation. I think this is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. And I think is really key to understanding the book of Revelation also. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This is the consummation of the age. This is when Christ returns in glory and the kingdoms of this world have now been subdued, and they have become the kingdom of our Lord and of our Christ, and Jesus will reign forever and ever. Nothing else. Jesus will rule. And so here's what we have. Sometimes Bible students call this the already, not yet. In other words, the kingdom is already here, but it is not yet here in its fullness Or in its consummation. It is here right now. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And he has now bound the strong man. He has set us free from the oppressive reign of Satan. By delivering people. And so we may experience release from satanic rule. And yet it is also coming. And when it comes it will result in a new creation. A rebirth or a transformation of the heavens and the earth. And all things will be made new. This is the good news. Jesus came preaching the good news of the kingdom. That's it. I think that's good news. You can be delivered from your sin and no longer serve a tyrant like Satan and your own flesh, but rather now be entered in as a citizen of the kingdom that will reign forever and ever with the king who is coming again. That's the good news. So he came to cities and villages preaching this. I think that's amazing to me. So here's another element that it, of the kingdom, that it's mysterious. And when I say mysterious, I don't mean spooky. All right? Mysterious in the Bible just simply means something that has been hidden in the past and is now revealed. So the kingdom is mysterious. That is, its purpose has been hidden, but it's now revealed. I find it interesting that when Jesus talked about the kingdom, he often described it with parables. You've read, especially in Matthew, the kingdom of God is like the kingdom of God is like the kingdom of God is like. What's he describing? The kingdom of God. It's described like parables, and or is described with parables. And in fact, next week we'll 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 study one of the parables. But it's like a seed. The kingdom of God is like a seed that that goes out and some of it is profitable and 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 some of it is unprofitable. Some of it gets choked out by the, the cares of this world or by trial and tribulation or even by by Satan himself. But some of it takes root and it begins to grow and it begins to 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 reap a large harvest of 10, 50, 100 fold. That's the kingdom the Kingdom does not arrive in grandeur, but rather it arrives very small, like a mustard seed but then it grows and it becomes a large plant that even the birds of the air are able to nest in it doesn 't come in grandeur it comes really small but it but it keeps growing it comes in a way that 's imperceptible you don 't see it it 's like leaven in a lump of in a lump of uh, Of dough, You don't see the leaven in the lump of dough. But it begins to influence the whole world so that all of the world is influenced by the kingdom. The kingdom is imperceptible like leaven and yet it ends up filling the whole earth. And we even begin to see that here in this passage of text. Don't you find it interesting that he went to the villages and notice who one of the women is in this passage. And I'll get to the women here in just a second. But one of the women is the wife of a man who's in Herod's household. The gospel is going into villages and it's going into Herod's palace. The kingdom, it's imperceptible. And yet it goes throughout all the world. The kingdom, we learn, is of such great value that it's worth you selling everything you have in order to obtain it. It's like a pearl of great price. It's like a treasure buried in a field that nothing that you possess is worth, uh, is equal to its value. It is of greater value than all your worldly goods, everything you have, all of your assets. Go home and look at your bank statement, look at your, your financial report. That may be depressing for some of us, but, but go home and look at it. And the kingdom of God is worth more than that. If you were to come into some great inheritance or or some massive amount of Of worldly goods, we would consider you blessed. And I think you would be, praise God. On the other hand, the kingdom of God is more valuable than all of that. It is like a pearl of great price. That once you find it, you would go and sell all you have just to have that one pearl or a treasure in a field. That it is of such great value that you would sell everything you have to go and have that be able to buy that field and obtain that village or that treasure. So it is of great value. So just a quick summary. This is the good news. The good news is that Jesus has authority to overthrow all opposing forces and permit entry into his kingdom by faith. And that kingdom is more valuable than anything you could ever have. And it is influencing and it is growing. And sometimes we wonder, gosh, what's going on with the kingdom? And yet men and women over all of the face of the earth are being converted and coming to Christ. So the good news, this is good news. It is good news to cities. It is good news to villages. It is good news to slums and to ghettos. It is good news to the suburbs. It is good news to pine. It is good news to strawberry. It is good news to the rim country. It is good news in your household. This is the good news. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 12, and 19, 8, and 28, 23, the apostles run about proclaiming the kingdom of God. Folks, our message is the kingdom. By the way, you know the king personally. And I'll get into this. The king has commissioned you and enabled you and equipped you to proclaim this kingdom. So that's the good news. So this is what Jesus did. At that time, Jesus went through the great... um, I'm sorry... Long text. Soon afterward, he went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And now, now that we've defined what the kingdom is, let's ask this question, and we've partially answered it, but let's explore it in a little bit more detail. Who can be part of this kingdom? Who gets included into this kingdom? Well, it says in the 12, were with him. Well, that's pretty obvious. So the twelve are part of the kingdom. We should kind of expect that they might be part of this kingdom. But then Luke goes on and says, and also some women. From women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, of whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, and of Herod's household, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and then listen to this, and many others. So not just these three. But there were many women who were following Jesus. He just happens to mention three of them. And let me just, I'm not going to go into detail about these women other than Mary Magdalene, just to um, squelch a myth. Mary Magdalene had demons cast out of her, but she was not a prostitute. Okay, somehow there's this idea that she was a prostitute, but the scripture is silent on that. Mary Magdalene had demons cast out of her, but that's what we know. All right. Somehow, we have this myth, kind of like Adam ate an apple. He did not eat an apple. Or the myth that there were three wise men. There were not three wise men, or at least the Bible doesn't say there were three gifts. It was just there were wise men, and Adam didn't eat an apple, and Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute. All right? So we'll just dispel those myths. These were women who had experienced the power of the kingdom. Did you notice that? They'd had demons cast out of them and they'd had their infirmities healed. These were women who encountered the kingdom invading the realm of Satan and uh, the kingdom now having influence and freeing them from the kingdom of darkness and transferring them into the kingdom of the beloved son. And so what we can learn, then, is the kingdom is not limited by geography, nor is the kingdom limited by gender. That is, there is therefore now no Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free, and there is no place or no person to whom the good news of the kingdom is not available and applicable. And they began to travel with Jesus. I find this really interesting, because they traveled with the king of the kingdom. They traveled with the one who created all things. And let's compare that to what they were used to. These were good Jewish women. And they would go to the temple. And when they went to the temple, what would happen? Where would they go? How close could they get to the Lord of glory? Well, not very. See, they had their own little separate section. And that's where they would worship from a distance, from afar. I don't even know if they could even see the holy place and the holy of holies. And here, oh no, you're not in a distance. You're right with the king, with the Lord of glory who has created you. You are with him. You are um, talking to him. You are personally engaged with him. That was one of the beautiful stories with the woman last week. She, Here she was at the feet of the king. When she went, if she were able even to go into the temple, she was kept at a distance. But Jesus, the kingdom has come. And here they are, walking and talking and glorying in the king who has freed them. And so the kingdom is not limited to geography, it's not limited to gender. We see that it is available to the poor woman of Nain, and it extends into Herod's household. The kingdom is invading, and it's influencing. It's like leaven that's going throughout the whole world. We've talked about Luke. He highlights women. He... Luke focuses a lot on the outcast, the downcast, the, the marginalized, and in this society, in that society, uh, women were definitely marginalized. But Luke exalts women; he lifts them up, and he shows that not only are women—they're um, not second-class citizens in the kingdom—they are co-heirs with Christ. They will reign with Christ. And Luke wants to make sure that everybody gets this point. There's a new age dawning. I don't mean some weird new agey thing. I mean a new age where Christ is king and men and women are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Let's put this next screen up. I don't know if you can see it or not, but I I got this. Here are are the mention. Here's where the Gospels mention women in the Bible... The ones with the asterisks are exclusive to Luke. So you can see the, mo- the majority of times women are mentioned in the Gospels. It is Luke alone who is making sure that you know, let me just coin it, you know women's place and their places with the king. Their place is part of the Gospel. And Luke makes sure that we understand exactly who is included in the kingdom. Another thing that Luke does, and this is just kind of, I, I thought, interesting, and I'd never noticed this. I picked it up from somebody else, so this is an original research. But Luke often parallels men and women, and I thought this was fascinating. So, for instance, in Luke chapter 1 and 2, he parallels Zechariah and Mary. Then he parallels the, wom- the woman at Zarephath and Naaman. Then he parallels, he tells a story about um, or there's an account of a centurion who has a sick servant and he heals that. And then he balances it out. And the very next story, he tells the story about the widow of Nain. And then he tells a parable about a man with a lost sheep. And immediately after that, he tells the parable of a woman with a lost coin. And then he tells a story about a vindicated window, widow. And the next story is a justified tax collector. And so I think Luke is saying that I'm going to tell a story about a man, then I'm going to tell a story about the, how, how women have received the kingdom. Here's a story about the man, a man in the kingdom. Here's a story about a woman in the kingdom. And so Luke makes sure we understand who's included in the kingdom. He gives us three, he highlights three, but he says many came, many were included. So. Here's what we've looked at. We've tried to define what is the good news of the kingdom. I think we've, we've tried to, um, to make that clear. Who's included in the kingdom? Well, Paul tells us there is no Jew. There is no Greek. There is no male, female. There is no slave. There is no free. All of these people have access to the kingdom. And Luke is just making certain that you understand that women who may have been oppressed or excluded are no longer oppressed or excluded in regards to the kingdom. And then we come to this section of, and I've just titled this, The Means of the Kingdom. That is, how does the kingdom advance? How does the kingdom maintain itself? And this is a very interesting thing to me because God used means. It says, These women and many others who provided for them, that is, the disciples... Uh, the Twelve, and Jesus, and perhaps even more, out of their means. God uses means. And in this case, God uses, used finances. I'm going to let you in on a secret here. Ministry costs money. It just does. Even, and the fascinating thing to me is not just current-day ministries take money. Jesus's ministry took money. And I think to myself, why couldn't he just speak food into existence? Right? I mean, why do do you why do we need that? Why can't Jesus? Well, we're kind of hungry and let there be fish, you know, cooked and already ready to go. But he didn't. He used means. He used natural means, not supernatural means, not because he can't, but God is sharing the kingdom with his people and he's having them take responsibility for the kingdom. So ministry takes means. Sometimes it's financial, but there are material ways that that are necessary or important for the ministry to take place. And it's, it's not supernatural. Most of the time, It's just through very natural ways. I find it interesting that when these women were supporting them, they didn't support just Jesus, but they supported the whole team. So when God uses means and supports ministry, it supports the entire ministry. And then the other thing I thought about was that the support of the ministry by by these ladies... um, Sometimes ministry is mundane. I think this church is a great example of mundane ministry because probably the majority of ministry that happens is kind of under the radar. You, just don't, you don't see it all the time. It's somebody calling another person on the phone and saying, man, you know what, the Lord put you on my heart today and I was praying for you just mundane. Because sometimes, somebody had to go to the store in Jesus' ministry or to the market and buy lettuce. Alright? And we are probably not thinking, well, that's not spectacular. I want to be in ministry. I want to do great things for God. How about buy lettuce? Oh, I want to cast out devils. But what we need is lettuce. But I want to heal Somebody. Peter needs a new pair of sandals. Not all ministry is in the spotlight, but all ministry is necessary. So what happens is I get up here and preach and it's kind of a spotlight thing and Suzanne and Dale get up and play and there's some other very out there ministries, but the majority of ministry in this church happens um, very quietly and very silently and we probably never see it. And yet all ministry is necessary if we don't call one another and if we don't pray for one another and if we don't, you know, um, lend a helping hand to one another, those are all ministries. So people so, sometimes come and uh, and they say, man, I I want to do something for God. What can I do? And in the past, I, I think I've my fail, the failure has been that I said, well, let's give you a job. Well, there may be a job to do, but perhaps the best thing to do is, well, See the person sitting across all by themselves over there? Call them this week and invite them to lunch. How about that? Oh, wow. I want to do something great. That is great. And so not all ministry is, quote, in the spotlight, but all ministry is necessary. And so... God uses means, and He used very natural means, and this means supported the whole team, not just Jesus. And some of the support that was, was provided for was just kind of mundane. It was buying lettuce in the marketplace. But here's the other thing then: that God gifts us with the means necessary to provide. All kingdom citizens have been gifted for the work of the kingdom. If you are a follower of Christ, you have been gifted for work in the ministry. You're all ministers. Now, you may not get paid or what have you, um, but you're all ministers. Every single one of you is a minister of the kingdom. And you have been gifted by God with the means to do the ministry that he has called you to do. You say, what have I been gifted with? I usually just say, probably the very thing you enjoy doing. I could never get up and preach a sermon every week. But I sure love having people over to my house and just making a fuss over them. Great, because I can't do that. Well, I can, but it's not really enjoyable. <laughs> Sorry. I'd just rather do this. All right? That's why I need you. All right? All right? There are things that I, I can do, uh, but I don't love doing them. Now, and some of the things that I don't love doing, man, you just you just enjoy it. It's like, really? Well, then why don't you do it? Great. That's what God's provided the church for. God has gifted us. Look at these women that God has given to the ministry of Jesus Christ. He gave them generous and faithful women. They provided out of their means to support the ministry. These women were faithful and God had given them the means to support the ministry. I don't know where they got their, their resources, but God gave it to them. Prior to Jesus being born, he made sure that, you know what, there, an inheritance is going to happen or some sort of financial um, ability is going to be given and they are going to experience the kingdom, come to know Christ and then be able to provide and help Jesus in his ministry. These women were generous. They were also faithful. These were the women who followed the Lord in Galilee. Our text right now, they're in Galilee, northern Israel. And in Mark chapter 15, we're going to see when they're down in Jerusalem, it says these were the women who came with him from Galilee. They traveled with him. They were faithful. They followed the Lord at the very beginning of his ministry and even to the very end of his ministry. They followed the Lord in Galilee. They met ministry needs. They were faithful at the foot of the cross. They were faithful at the tomb of the Lord and they were faithful in the upper room awaiting the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father. God has given them this great ability. And by the way, these were women who did not deny Christ. The the twelve did. Not these women. They didn't deny. They didn't run away. And they didn't betray him. These were the generous and faithful women. And they were faithful with little and they were then entrusted with much. These were the women who were the first witnesses of the resurrection. And these were the first people who were entrusted with the message of the risen Christ. Go and tell your brethren. They They were given... They were faithful with little little, and they were entrusted with much. And they, too, on the day of Pentecost, were in the upper room and received the Holy Spirit that same day. All kingdom citizens, then, are gifted to glorify the king. And Peter tells us there are generally two broad categories of gifts, speaking and serving. I won't go into great detail, but basically God has given you the ability to proclaim his gospel or to serve his people or to serve those who are um, outside of the kingdom. This is what God has done for us. This is the kingdom. This is the good news of the kingdom. This is what Jesus went about proclaiming. So I'll close with this. <coughs> the Bible tells us then that the kingdom has come. That is, the king Jesus is the king of the kingdom. Luke is writing this so that we can be certain. We are certain then, and we can have utter and complete confidence that Jesus is the king of the kingdom and the kingdom has come. This kingdom is not limited by geography. That is, um, it is not just applicable to the people in Pine. It is not just applicable to the people in Phoenix. It is also applicable to the slums, to the garbage dump slums of of Santo Domingo, Ecuador. It is a gospel that goes from, the penthouses in the most luxurious city in the world to the most horrifying existence on a garbage dump in India. The good news of the kingdom. It goes to all of those places. It's not limited. And none is excluded. It's easy to think, well, what about this person? In certain countries, they have a caste system. Some people are lower caste and they are oppressed and downtrodden. But the gospel is not limited to the upper caste or to the lower caste. The gospel um, is there for all. We used to have a guy in a Bible study I taught. He had Down syndrome. And uh, he was a handful. Uh, he was quite a handful. And he would ramble on with a prayer request. Just He would take up the whole time. And we realized that he just wanted to share good things about God. So one day, the Lord, in his mercy, said, why don't you start asking him to uh, read a Bible scripture at the beginning of, of your Bible study? And so I'd tell him the week before, and he'd practice all week, him and his mom, and he'd practice all week, and he'd get up, and he would read that scripture. And he was just so overjoyed. He'd go around telling everybody, I'm a preacher. I'm a preacher. And he would just read the and it brought him such great joy to read the scripture. He was gifted by God to do, do something. We can say, oh, well, you know what? He has a learning disability or he has some, some limitations. How can he serve the kingdom of God? And God's like, the kingdom is here, and he's part of the kingdom. And now I have equipped him to be part of the kingdom and do what I want him to do have him read my word. And people who were always struggling and troubled by, like, oh, he's such a handful, oh, we've got to get him under control. All of a sudden, once they began reading the scripture, he was happy to sit down and he was great. People going, what a great transformation. He just was being equipped to do what God called him to do. Jesus is the king. He's not limited by geography. And there is nobody who is excluded from the kingdom. That all who will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So the kingdom has come, but the kingdom will also come and the kingdoms of the earth will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And of that, we can be certain. And my friends, that's good news. Let's stand and let's pray and uh, let's sing. Our Father, we thank you that you have given authority and rule and reign to Jesus, your son. And he will reign until all things have been subdued by him. And the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. What a day that is. Until then, Lord God, I pray that we would be faithful to, to the kingdom, not excluding anybody, using the means that you've given us to extend it to the uttermost parts of the world and even to our families and our our own households. So have mercy upon us this day, Lord God, and grant us your favor for Christ's sake. Amen.